some video footage there from my wedding ceremony. Um, I want to share it with you for two reasons this morning. First of all, I wanted there to be video evidence footage that Pastor Lee used to have hair. <laughs> and that I knew how to rock a Tom Selleck Magnum P.I. mustache. And also today I'm going to be speaking about the topic of marriage, so it only seemed fitting that I would share some footage from um, a video that was made at Amy's and my wedding um, 29 years ago. For those of you who don't know me, I am Pastor Lee, uh, whether you're joining us here in person or uh, online, and I'm the youth and young adult pastor here at the church, and it is my humble privilege to be able to speak this morning while Pastor Mike and his family enjoy some time away together, as you heard Pastor Wiggins share, they're on their way to Oklahoma, where uh, Alyssa is going to be taking a tour of the campus there, Oklahoma Wesleyan University. She's still praying about where she's going to be going to college, but um, they're going to be um, making a trip out there. Before I forget, speaking of my beautiful wife, she's standing over here in the corner, and I'm supposed to dismiss the children for children's church. So... <laughs> Happy birthday to you ladies. I know you had a birthday party yesterday. So, yes. (laughs) Amy and I got married on January 22nd, 1994, which means we've been married for 29 years, four months, and six days as of today. And we've made it a regular practice over the years to spend time away together, just the two of us. In fact, we did that this week for a couple days celebrating Amy's birthday. Even when our children were younger and still living at home, we would make the arrangements with grandparents to invest in our marriage with quality time away. Just the two of us, in addition to the times we would take together um, on family vacations. Marriage is not easy. I'll say that again. Yes, I already heard an amen. Marriage is not easy. Marriage is hard work, and it takes intentional investment on a regular basis to keep it as healthy as possible. Somebody once said that Adam and Eve had the perfect marriage. Adam didn't have to hear about all the other men that Eve could have married, and Eve didn't have to hear about how Adam's mother would have cooked their meals. (laughs) Adam and Eve were the prototype of marriage, the first model, so to speak, of a man and woman brought together in this special relationship. Marriage is an institution established by God, as we will be reminded of in Scripture here in a moment. And because God created it, we know that it is a good thing. Human cultures may try to reinvent it or reshape it, but under God, it stands as an unchangeable foundation for human life. Marriage was not designed by God simply to bring us pleasure, but to bring husband and wife, man and woman, into partnership in serving the purposes of God together and reflecting his love to others. Biblical marriage is more than a mere contract. It is a holy covenant between the husband and wife and God Almighty. The term covenant as defined by scripture is a solemn and binding relationship which is meant to last a lifetime. Dennis Rainey, co-founder of Family Life Ministry said, for the past several years, I have had a growing concern that the Christian community has passively watched the dumbing down of the marriage covenant. Marriage has become little more than an upgraded social contract between two people, not a holy covenant between a man and a woman and their God for a lifetime. In the Old Testament days, 
a covenant was a solemn and binding thing. When two people entered into a covenant with one another, a goat or a lamb was killed and its carcass would be cut in half and the two halves would be separated and laid on the ground. And the two people who had formed the covenant would solemnize their promise by walking between the two halves and they would say, may God do so to me. That is, cut me in half if I ever break this covenant with you and God. Do you get the impression that covenants were taken more seriously back then? If you have your Bibles, you can read along with me in Genesis 2, beginning at verse 23. And if you don't have your Bibles today, uh, the text will be on the screen behind me. Beginning in verse 23, in Genesis chapter 2, Adam exclaims, at last, this one is bone from my bone and flesh from my flesh. She will be called woman because she was taken from man. This explains why a man will leave his father and mother and is joined to his wife, and the two are united in one flesh. There are three parts to this directive that we're going to talk about today, and I believe it to be some of the best marriage advice you're ever going to hear. So for the next few minutes, we're going to look at this process, and the first directive that we're going to talk about is the principle of leaving. What that means is leaving father and mother is that one relationship must be consciously sacrificed and reprioritized in order to solidify another relationship. One must be sacrificed so that another may be solidified. A man shall leave. In Hebrew, the word leave there actually means forsake or abandon. In the ancient world, one of the highest values was allegiance and honor to one's parents. The Bible makes clear, though, that a man's duty is to leave his parents in the sense that he transfers his loyalty from them to his wife. Providing, living with, and caring for her must take priority in his life over doing the same thing for his parents. Now, I want to explain something here. It doesn't mean that you sever all contact with your parents. It doesn't mean I'm getting married today, therefore I'm not going to have anything else to do with you. Never call me again, I've got a spouse now. It doesn't mean that. It means essentially cut the cord of dependence. Make your spouse your first priority. It means you take responsibility for your life as a married couple, actually living like mature, independent, responsible adults. And your parents give you the space to grow up and solidify your relationship as a married couple. This is a very important principle that all too many couples these days don't practice. Far too many couples never leave their father and mother and remain almost symbiotically attached to them. They are comfortable letting mom and dad carry the weight of financial responsibility for their lives even after they're married. I know of some couples who've gotten married and simply moved their spouse in with them under mom and dad's roof after they said, I do, because they hadn't established their own independence prior to walking down the aisle. In fact, some husbands and wives remain so attached to their parents after getting married that the influence of their parents' desires take priority and begin to shape the new marriage. It impacts the way a new bride or a new groom interact with their new spouse to the point that sometimes they begin to exert their own influence over their spouse to help them become who their parents want their new spouse to be. The failure to properly leave their parents on either the part of the husband or the wife 
has hijacked the new marriage. And far too many newly married couples have failed to properly cut the apron strings and it wreaks havoc on their marriages. And so I will say to you parents who are having children getting married, and I'm speaking to myself because I have adult children who are married, release your kids. Give them space. Don't try to run their lives or run their marriages. Encourage, and I'd say even require them to grow up and take responsibility for themselves. Your goal as a parent, even if you just recently had children, is to get that child ready to launch. Spiritually, physically, emotionally, we are tasked as parents to teach our children how to have a personal relationship with Jesus and to be able to function as a mature, responsible adult when they leave the nest. Our children are not intended to stay home with us forever. I know there may be some exceptions to that. There may be special circumstances and special needs involved, but as a rule, it is our role as parents to prepare our children to launch. And we make that a symbolic part of wedding ceremonies. We have the bride walk down the aisle, typically with her father, sometimes with someone else, and the minister asks, who gives this woman to be married to this man? And the father replies, we do or her mother and I do, or her family and I do. It is the giving away of the bride that is a symbolic and significant part of that ceremony. It represents the transfer of responsibility from the parents to the new relationship. As the parents give away, the husband receives and accepts the transfer of that responsibility. I know of a father who received a phone call from his recently married daughter. She was calling to ask him for his advice on a possible job change for her. The father's immediate response to his precious daughter was, well, what does your new husband think about this? She said, well, I haven't talked to him about it yet. The father wisely replied, sweetheart, you're a married woman now. And other than God, the first person you need to be seeking counsel from is your husband. That's an example of how a parent helps their adult children practice the leaving principle. Parents must be intentional and when they give advice to their married children so they make every effort to uphold and support the biblical unity of their adult child's marriage and point the couple towards each other and toward God. Something else to note before I move on to the next point. If we are specifically told to leave father and mother, then the most important relationship we have with human beings before we get married, they're mentioned here, is father and mother. If we are to sacrifice that relationship in order to solidify the new one, that must mean that every other relationship must also take a back seat. That means our relationship with our career, with our friends, with our hobbies, television and video games must be reprioritized according to the new ultimate relationship that we have on a human level between the husband and wife. If we cut the apron strings with father and mother, then certainly other ties must also be cut and reprioritized. A wise person once said, a successful marriage demands a divorce. I know that sounds strange just hearing that on the surface, but hear me out. A successful marriage demands a divorce. 
a divorce from your own self-love. Most people are deeply committed to self. A deep stream of self-sufficiency flows through most of our veins as our culture's love affair with individualism shapes us more profoundly than we realize. The covenant of marriage demands that we lay down our commitment to self and leave all other human relationships as secondary to our commitment to our spouse. And this may not be popular to say, but even our children should not take priority in our hearts over our spouse. And I know I can just hear some of you thinking right now, all right, Pastor Lee, now you're just meddling. If you're married, there should be no other human relationship on earth more important to you than your spouse. So that's the first directive, leaving. The second directive is cleaving. Therefore, a man will leave his father and mother and cleave to his wife. That's the King James language there. Other translations may, fr may phrase it, be joined together with his wife. Cleave means to be glued together, to be welded together. It conveys the idea of permanence. When couples stand at the altar and say, I do to the charge that the minister has issued to them according to God's word and to the vows they make while standing in front of their family and friends, the words fall so quickly off the tongue. However, those I do's have to be lived out every day through an ongoing series of I wills as they commit not only in the moment of the ceremony, but in every moment of their lives to continue to fulfill those vows. Amy and I each sang a song to each other at our wedding. You saw that in the video. Hers was much more beautiful than mine, I assure you. But the meaning of the words to the song that I sang to her were very significant. The title of the song is I Will Be Here by Stephen Curtis Chapman. You heard it being played in the video as well. It wasn't titled, I am here. It was titled, I will be here. It says, I will be here when the laughter turns to crying. Through the winning, losing, and trying, I will be here. I will be here, and you can cry on my shoulder when the mirror tells us we're older, and it does now. I will be here. I will be here to watch you grow in beauty and tell you all the things you mean to me. I will be here, and I will be true to the promise I've made to you and to the one who gave you to me. I will be here. The question before each bride and groom standing at the altar isn't merely, do you love her today? Or do you honor him right here in this moment? But will you continue to love and honor and forsake all others as you abide by this covenant, covenant you've made with the Lord for as long as you both shall live? This is the commitment being made. A commitment of cleaving, being glued together to your spouse in this joint mission of following and obeying God together, even in the hard times. This commitment speaks of permanence in a world that embraces the temporary. Cleaving speaks of a tenacious holding onto, a man's sticking to his wife in a willful and lasting way. This goes back to the, the covenant implication I was sharing just a few minutes ago. The commitment to one spouse must be ironclad. You might say, well, Pastor Lee, does this mean that there can never be a separation in a marriage relationship under any circumstances? I'm not saying that. Because Jesus in Matthew 19 
gave the exception, infidelity. And sometimes there's also abuse taking place. So yes, there are situations where a separation may certainly be in order. Sometimes there are circumstances that are beyond your control. And even though you may have tried to make things work, the other person wasn't willing to repent or reconcile or submit to God's transforming power. And you found yourself in a very painful and difficult situation. However, I'm going to say something that you know is true. There is never a separation or divorce where there is not damage. God allowed divorce, but the Bible says in Malachi 2.16 that God also hates divorce. One of the reasons I think that he hates it is because he knows that it always involves deep hurt. And as our loving father, he wants to spare us of that hurt. If you took two pieces of paper and glued them together and left them for a month or left them for a year or left them for five years, and then you decided you had changed your mind about the union of those two pieces of paper, you could not separate them without there being damage. And so Jesus himself says in Matthew 19, verses four through six, this is in the New Testament now, Jesus speaking this, have you not read that he who created them from the beginning made them male and female and said, therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife and the two shall become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let not man separate. You cannot separate flesh without there being damage and pain and wounds and scars. And here's the big problem for us. We live in a society where permanence isn't even part of our thinking system anymore. We've taken God's blueprint for marriage and we've attempted to redraw it. We've looked at God's blueprint for building the house of marriage and as a culture, we've said, I don't like that floor plan. It doesn't have a back door. We look at God's design and see the front door, which he welcomes us to walk through. But when we don't see there is a back door, many people say, I don't think so. I'm gonna have to redraw these blueprints. And so couples come to the altar and say, oh yes, for richer, for poorer, for better, for worse, in sickness and in health. And there's all the music and all the photos and all the beauty. But too many times under their breath or in the back of their mind, they're thinking, unless there's a glitch. We've taken the idea of a permanent bond completely out of our thinking. And we look for the loopholes, the escape clause, the back door. What this means on a practical level is that a husband promises to be faithful to his wife. I will until death parts us. That means when she looks different down the road than she did on your wedding day, or when she decides she's not going to cook like she did when the kids were younger, or when she does something that makes you mad, or a myriad of other things that change over time that you say, still, I am committed to being joined with you as when we first began. What that means for the wife, practically speaking, is that when that man who stood next to you at the altar gets a big gut, loses all of his hair, has bad breath, Many of you are thinking, Lee, you just described my husband to a T. <laughs> that the commitment to permanence 
doesn't change. When he does things that get under your skin, you persevere. Many years ago, Amy and I attended a pastor's retreat. And at one of the group sessions, the topic addressed commitment in marriage and how we as followers of Christ must pay attention to this vital aspect of cleaving throughout the trials and tribulations of life. The speaker for that particular session was Robertson McQuilkin. He's since passed away in 2016. McQuilkin was the president of Columbia International University in Columbia, South Carolina. And I would like to share with you his resignation speech that he gave on May 9th, 1990, and the reason that he stepped down from his high profile position. Watch this video. I haven't in my life experienced easy decision-making on major decisions, but uh, one of the simplest and clearest decisions I've had to make is this one, because circumstances dictated it. Uh, Muriel, now, uh, in the last couple of months, seems to be almost happy when with me, and almost never happy when not with me. In fact, she seems to feel trapped, become very fearful, sometimes almost terror. And when she can't get to me, there can be anger. She's in distress. But when I'm with her, she's happy and contented. And so I must be with her at all times. And you see, it's not only that I promised in sickness and in health, till death do us part. And I'm a man of my word. But as I have said, I don't know with this group, but I have said publicly, it's the only fair thing she sacrificed for me for 40 years to make my life possible. So, if I cared for her for 40 years, I'd still be in debt. However, there's much more. It's not that I have to, it's that I get to. I love her very dearly, and you can tell it's not easy to talk about. She's a delight. It's a great honor to care for such a wonderful person. Muriel McQuilkin suffered from Alzheimer's disease, and her husband demonstrated what it means to cleave to her when he put her needs above all others. Even resigning from his job in order to care for her personally, and as he said, I am a man of my word. As a university president, the school needed Robertson 100%, and as a husband, his wife needed him 100%. In the end, as you heard him say, the decision to step down from his position was easy for him to make. In a letter to the university's constituency, he wrote that, in a way, my decision was made 42 years prior at our wedding, when I promised to care for Muriel in sickness and in health till death do us part. Muriel's last day on earth was September 19th, 2003. Robertson cared for his wife full-time for 13 years after his resignation, and she lived long enough for them to see their 55th anniversary together. After Muriel's passing, Robertson said, for 55 years, Muriel was flesh of my flesh, bone of my bone. So losing her is like a ripping of my flesh and deeper, my very bones. 
but there is also profound gratitude. For many years, I've delighted in recalling happy memories, and I still do. No regrets, I'm grateful. This was a promise kept. Leaving, cleaving, and here's the third one. I'm calling it weaving. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. What does that mean? First of all, on a primary physical level, it can mean that when a child is produced as a part of that union, you can look at that child and say, we have become one flesh. We have merged two people into one unit. But I think it means more than that. I think it means one flesh where you share everything. You share bodies, yes. And you also share possessions. You share insights. You become one. Authors have described this one flesh as the type of relationship shared with no one else other than one's spouse. It is a partnership in every area of life for as long as both spouses live. In other words, I love this. There is absolutely nothing about which one's, one spouse may say to the other, that's none of your business. The wife has complete and unfettered access to every area of her husband's life. And likewise, the husband to every area of his wife's life. There are no locked doors and no secret hiding places. How does this happen? Well, it happens through faithful commitment to the Lord over time. And it does take time. Notice that the text doesn't say the two are one flesh. It says the two shall become one flesh. It's a process. It's a process of weaving. Marriage isn't held together by chains, though many people would believe that. Marriage is held together by God through threads that are woven over time. Thousands and thousands and millions of tiny little threads that you and your spouse weave together every single day, binding your lives and your hearts together as one. I don't know if anyone in the room today has seen the Eiffel Tower in person. I have not, but I know several people who have. One day I heard that visitors were not able to access the tower because it was closed for welding. A visitor who was there the day that it was closed and was turned away asked, why are they welding it? This thing has been here since 1889. The security guard who was standing at the blocked entrance said, we go over the joints every few years to make sure the joints that were originally secure and holding are reinforced and that any that are weakening can be strengthened to last longer. We must be vigilant to regularly ask God to help us weave and weld the bonds of our marriages, to reinforce areas that may be weakened by the trials of life so that they may endure as we are in the process of becoming one flesh. A marriage is not held together by chains, but by threads that the Lord weaves in your life as you make him the center of your relationship. Ecclesiastes 4, 9 through 11 says, two are better than one because they have a good reward for their toil. For if they fall, one will lift the other up. But if someone falls alone, they are in real trouble. Likewise, two people lying close together can keep each other warm. But how can one be warm alone? A person standing alone can be attacked and defeated but two can stand back to back and conquer. Three are even better, for a cord of three strands is not easily broken. 
When Amy and I do premarital counseling, we often tell couples that that cord of three strands can be represented by the husband, wife, and God. Being woven together into an unbreakable bond that brings protection and strength to their lives and glory to God. Marriage begins with an awareness of our identity. The man and woman who were created by God coming together in a covenant relationship with God. It requires your responsibility in leaving, reprioritizing all other relationships, in cleaving and being joined together with your spouse in a permanent bond. All of these form the basis and foundation that leads to the apex of verse 25, the intimacy principle. It says, and they were both naked, the man and his wife, and were not ashamed. The word naked here means to lay bare. And the idea of the language used here is that it is a reciprocal concept. It is the idea that the man and woman lay naked with one another and before one another. And in that context is vulnerability. This is intimacy, the goal of every marriage. Intimacy with each other and intimacy with God. Notice I didn't say sex. I said intimacy, two different things. Healthy intimacy in marriage leads to sexuality. What's interesting is many times when you say the word intimacy to men, they think of one thing. But if you say the word intimacy to women, they are thinking on a whole different track. Intimacy is that open, unguarded relationship that involves transparency on every level. Intimacy is that space where a couple shares conversation and silence and history and joys and heartaches. All of that together helps form intimacy. They were both naked and had nothing to be ashamed of. They were both open and unguarded. They were vulnerable before each other. And it wasn't until sin entered into the relationship that everything got spoiled. Marriage can be infinitely rewarding at its best and unspeakably oppressive at its worst. And there are a lot of stages in between. And God's principle of leaving, cleaving, and weaving is what enables couples to achieve the intimacy that he designed. He designed and desires for us to have that kind of intimacy in our marriages. These verses we've read this morning, just a few short verses in Genesis that are reinforced over and over again throughout the Bible. As we've even read this morning, they're pointed back to in the New Testament because of their importance. This year, our church is praying for the Lord to help us see at least 53 people surrender their lives to God as we share the gospel of Jesus with those around us. By last count, we had reached double digits, but we still have a long way to go as we approach the halfway mark of the year. As we reflect on the gift of marriage and the fact that it was instituted by God as a reflection of his love for his bride, the church, may we remember the witness that our marriages are to a watching world. Our marriages are supposed to be a picture of the gospel itself, a reflection of the unconditional love and grace that God gives to us that we seek to demonstrate in our relationship with our spouse. By honoring God's design and plan for marriage, we honor God and demonstrate his sacrificial love to one another. And that speaks volumes to a world that is caught up in promoting self and seeking their own interest above all else. 
Marriage is incredibly hard work. And it takes daily obedience to God's call to lay down our lives for one another the way that Christ did for each of us. Jesus said in Luke 9, 23, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross daily and follow me. Our marriages help us practice the discipline of denying ourselves every day for the sake of another human being. When we yield our will to God's will and love our spouses sacrificially with a heart to see the Lord honored and glorified in our marriages, we are showing the world that we are the Lord's disciples. You saw it in the video a few moments ago and I decided to bring it with me this morning. Amy and I had a unity candle that was part of our wedding ceremony. And each of us took an individual candle that represented our lives prior to us coming together that day at our wedding ceremony. And we lit this candle. This is the same candle that was used in that ceremony. Representing our coming together as one. Uniting as husband and wife in that covenant with the Lord. Every year on January 22nd, we light this candle as part of our anniversary celebration. And we let it burn for one minute for every year that we've been married. We got a thick one so it would last our whole lifetime. And each year when we light the flame of this candle, it is a reminder of the covenant that we made with God and each other. And the flame that it gives off is a reminder to us of our calling to let our light shine as a couple before others so that they will see God's glory and that they will turn to him and follow him and be drawn to his love. Pastor Mike used these verses last week and I already had my sermon written before I heard him use these verses last week so I'm still gonna use them this morning. Matthew 5 verses 14 through 16 says, you are the light of the world like a city on a hilltop that cannot be hidden. No one lights a lamp and then puts it under a basket. Instead, a lamp is placed on a stand where it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your good deeds shine out for all to see so that everyone will praise your heavenly father. If we are shining the light of Christ the way we are called to as husbands and wives, our marriages should shine out for all to see and bring praise to our Heavenly Father. And I just wanna say a word of thanks this morning to all the marriages that Amy and I have had the privilege of watching and learning from, being mentored by. There are marriages in this room that have been incredibly powerful and impacting to us. And I'm grateful for the example that you have set. It's our desire to try to be that for others as well. If we are shining the light of Christ the way we are called to as husbands and wives, our marriages will shine out for others to see. We have to remember that our marriages are witnesses as well. For those of you who have gone through a separation or divorce, I know that is one of the most difficult things a person can go through, probably only second to losing a loved one. I've had very close family members and friends who have suffered the heartache of divorce. It's a situation I wish they never had to go through. For those who can relate, I want to encourage you with the reminder that God is a restorer. He wants wants you to focus on the future rather than be trapped in the pain of the past and trust him to redeem and restore what the enemy has sought to damage and destroy. 
God wants to bring good to your life where the enemy has sought to bring evil. God wants you to hold on to the promise that he has a beautiful plan for your life. And that plan is not for harm, but for good. And God wants you to be used as a source of comfort and hope to others who have also experienced similar troubles as you. I love the encouragement that we find in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 3 and 4. It says, All praise to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is our merciful Father and the source of all comfort. He comforts us in all of our troubles so that we can comfort others. When they are troubled, we will be able to give them the same comfort that God has given us. I'd like to invite everyone to bow your heads as we begin to close. In a moment, I'm going to say a prayer for the marriages in our church family and for the marriages beyond our church. Your parents' marriage, your children's marriages, your grandchildren's marriages, your marriage, maybe even your future marriage. But before I pray, I just want to give an opportunity for you to let me know in just a moment by simply raising your hand that there is a specific marriage that you'd like prayer for today. And by raising your hand, you'll be signifying your desire to see God bring glory to himself through that marriage. Maybe that marriage is your own, or maybe you're raising your hand on behalf of someone else's marriage that is close to you. Maybe you know of a marriage that needs restoration or healing. Maybe you know of a marriage that is very healthy and you want it to remain that way. So if the Lord has laid a specific marriage on your heart today that you'd like me to pray for, would you simply raise your hand right now? Thank you, I see hands all over the room. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you for the gift of marriage. Your word says, he who finds a wife finds a good thing and obtains favor from the Lord. Thank you, Lord, for our spouses. Thank you personally for my wife and the favor that I found from you and her. Lord, help us as husbands and wives to remember when we first met and the strong love that you developed between us. Help us every day to love each other in practical ways that protect the unity of our marriages. May our words to each other be kind. May our thoughts about each other be filled with grace, remembering the endless grace that you have shown to us. May we remain humble. May we remain teachable. May we always be quick to repent and ask forgiveness when we sin against you or when we sin against our spouse. May we always possess the wisdom to freely forgive as well. Help us to look for the good in our spouse every day and not keep a record of wrongs. Help us stay committed to you and each other and keep us from temptation. Guide us together as we seek to glorify you through our marriage and to build your kingdom and reflect your love to the world as we love each other the way that you taught us to. Deepen our communication Strengthen our friendship with our spouse and mark, make our relationships bold and honoring to your word as we stand in the swift moving current of a culture that devalues your design for marriage. And Lord, we also come before you today on behalf of marriages that are broken and those husbands and wives that are wounded and hurt. Lord, we trust you to stand in the gap for these couples, to be the hope in the middle of their hopelessness and for you to restore and heal their hearts. We ask that you would grant wisdom to those who are going through tough times. Help them on their journey of forgiveness, whether that is forgiveness of their spouse or even in forgiveness of themselves. Help them to trust your power to rebuild what the enemy has torn down. 
wherever we find ourselves today, Lord, whether in good times or hard times, help us to reflect your character. May we, in faith, trust the work you're doing in our hearts and rely on your power and strength to guide, heal, and transform. We lean on you and desire to honor you in all things. It's in your powerful name, Jesus, we pray. Amen. When you came in today, you should have received a connection card in your bulletin. On the bottom of that card, you'll see a set of numbers and part of the alphabet. If you would like to talk to one of the church staff further about something related to today's message on marriage, you can fill out that card with your contact info and simply circle the letter F, and that will stand for follow-up, and we will be sure to do that this week. I'd like to thank you so much for worshiping with us today. I hope that you will have a safe and enjoyable and hopefully dry Memorial Day tomorrow. And I also look forward to us being able to celebrate um, Vacation Bible School that is starting next Sunday. I know um, the children's ministry has been doing a lot of work on that. So if you know of anyone who hasn't signed up yet, we encourage you to share that with them. Um, They can do that online or see my wife and um, we'd love to have them join us for Vacation Bible School. Thank you so much for being here today and go in peace.